I've got three messages here up until the time when uh, Ryan is going to preach on um, the eternal kingdom, the, the coming of the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth, while I am uh, taking a trip to Portugal. Um, and the th so I'm going to be dealing mainly out of Revelation chapter 20, which is kind of the, it's the final judgment. It's the final judgment. And so it's the judgment of, of Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, all of these, these crazy characters that we've met. Um, it's the, the judgment of all people. Um, and so I really wanted to, to do a good job with this uh, passage and address some contemporary uh, challenges or questions that we have. And so um, if you just jump into, let me just show you here real quick. I'm going to pray after I touch base here on what we're going to do. The first few verses of Revelation chapter 20 say this, that I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. All right, so that's the beginning of Revelation chapter 20. Um, and you have this image, I think it's a strange image, of, of an angel capturing Satan. And so... I didn't want to go into the three messages assuming we were all in the same place regarding Satan. Who is he? And there's a chapter that we're going to deal with today, um, Revelation chapter 12, that kind of gives a snapshot picture of the devil, who he is, where he came from, what he does. So we're going to look at Satan today. Next week, we're going to have a grand old time. We're going to look at um, the idea of hell and judgment, and we're going to look at three contemporary opinions about hell and um, try to come within a 40-minute time frame of trying to come to a, a biblical perspective on hell. What is it? How long does it last? Who goes there, all right? We'll have a real challenge doing that in 40 minutes, but we're going to take a stab at it. And then the last message is going to be on uh, the resurrection, the great white throne judgment of God, um, and uh, the final judgment of, of all things that have been created. And so we've got a great three weeks here, and I just wanted to present that to you so you can kind of prepare for it mentally, um, and I'm going to pray. Lord God, we are challenged by your word, and not only challenged by what it calls us to in our lives, but challenged as to even what to think or believe at times because of the strangeness of the text. And so our prayer is that you would give us clarity on the things that we are to have clarity about and that you could help us uh, leave to your sovereign will, as Jesus often did, recognizing that some questions are only to be answered by you in your time. Help us, God, to remain strong in faith when we don't have all of the answers, and we can't get all of the images grasped as to exactly what they mean. 
God, we pray that you'd fill uh, us with your presence today, that you'd strengthen us with a sense of your love and of your power in us, God, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we would sense your presence, and that you would continue to draw us together in love for one another and love for this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've read Revelation chapter 20, and Satan, and we've got all kinds of images in our culture about uh, what Satan looks like, what Satan does. I'm not going to get into a lot of those. You all have ideas and images of Satan. And I'm not sure today's message is going to do a lot to remedy our contemporary traditional understanding because he literally in this passage today is a, is a red dragon with horns, okay? So uh, we're not going to hit the prophets, and the prophets describe Satan as um, a beautiful creation of God, utmost in glory, in wisdom, and in beauty, who grew arrogant in his position and sought to take the throne of God for himself, all right? It's not a red dragon. He doesn't have horns or multiple heads, but he will in today's passages. Um, I think the important thing to start out with is that uh, Satan is a spirit being, all right? You can't put a chain around his neck or throw him into a pit. These are, these are images to communicate truth, all right? So think of the devil as spirit. So we're going to look at what this spirit being, the devil, uh, is, who he is. So we're going to see Satan prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus, a little story about what was Satan doing, who was he and where was he at prior to the death and resurrection of Christ. We're going to look at what the death and resurrection of Christ did to Satan, and then we're going to look at Satan after the death and resurrection of Christ. And then three weeks from now, and a little bit next week, but, or excuse me, two weeks from today, the third message, we're going to look at where Satan is going to end up. And so, there's Revelation chapter 20. We're also now going to read Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. This is Satan prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a little bit, I think it's a little bit different kind of message today. It's, it's highly informational. And next week is going to be informational and kind of debate, but anyway... A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Okay, so who is this woman to begin with? Well, if you can remember Joseph's dreams, remember Joseph's dreams, what he dreamed? He dreamed, he dreamt, excuse me, that the sun and the moon would bow down to him and 11 stars would bow down to him. And then his father, Jacob, interpreted that as, shall I and your mother and your 11 brothers bow down to you? And so you have the woman here, but with 12 stars, because Joseph is now included as one of those 12 stars, this is the nation of Israel. This is the nation of Israel. The woman is the nation of Israel. And she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth, okay? Genesis chapter three, in one of the, in really one the first proclamation of the gospel that we have in the Old Testament, God told woman that she would give birth to a child and that she would crush the head of the serpent. And so here we have 
the woman Israel, and then that, that storyline continues throughout the rest of the Old Testament, Israel being the family from which this child would come. So Israel is pregnant, crying out in birth pangs and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems, or crowns. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Okay, Genesis chapter three, God said, listen, the woman and the child would be at enmity and be in hostility against the serpent. All right, so it's, this is, this, this passage is, is giving us some of these image, images about the woman and her child and the devil and how things are going to unfold in regard to that ancient promise. And the devil, who is a red dragon with seven horns and seven, ten, seven horns, excuse me, seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns, it's like the beast, the Antichrist that we've already looked at, but it's not, it is the full representation of Satan himself, all right? And the seven hordes, excuse me, the seven heads, just like the, the, the beast or the Antichrist, represents uh, the totality of his rule over the world. That's the, the ten crowns, the ten horns, those are kings and kingdoms. So that the, the number seven and the number ten reflect the totality of, of Satan's influence and power over the world as, as a dragon. Now, why does Satan have this power? It's because uh, mankind chose to follow him rather than follow God. And so from that time, death and corruption um, existed in the world. God created it, Satan corrupted it. And because of Satan's corruption and humans buy in to his deceptions, he rules and he reigns. And he's in conflict with this woman and tries to kill the child. So if you can think about all of the times that you read, uh, really from Genesis on, any time where the people of God were at risk of being destroyed, so Abraham and his family in Egypt, okay, uh, then the nation of Israel in Egypt, and all the, the attacks and battles from the enemies of Israel throughout the Old Testament. These are efforts of the devil trying to destroy Israel. All right, if you can destroy Israel, you can destroy the child who is going to come eventually someday and smash the head and destroy the serpent. Well, verse 5, she gives birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations, See, the devil is ruling. A child is to be born who will be the ruler. But her child was caught up to the nation, excuse me, caught up to God and his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. So God prevents... Okay, I mean, just think about Joseph and Mary, all right? Um, they had to flee the Roman uh, rule because the, uh, I can't remember the dude's name, uh, wanted to kill. Remember all the firstborn 
children were killed. All the firstborn children were killed at the time of Christ from the hometown he was from. There we go, Herod, thank you. Some things just kind of pass by. Um, So Herod tried to kill Christ, but God protected. God protected the child, protected the family. And so Christ was born, and the dragon's efforts were thwarted. And so this is the dragon prior to the death and resurrection of Christ. And so what does he do? And I want to go to Job, chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Job is considered uh, the the oldest of the Old Testament books, written prior to Genesis, okay? Written prior to Genesis, or at least is speaking of a time prior to to Genesis. And it describes um, God and the heavenly realm. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of of the Lord. And so you have here a picture, and there's, I think it's, there's a, a, a great reason why we have this book. Now, it doesn't fall at the beginning of the Bible, but you get insight into the fundamental work of Satan into humanity prior to Christ's coming. And he is in the presence of God. He is in the presence of the heavenly beings. He is in the presence of the other angels. And he um, is accusing Job before God. Job isn't all that he is, that you crack him up to be. He's not as great, he's not as blameless, he's not as holy. And the only reason he serves you is because of all of the physical blessings that you've given him. And God says, hey, let's put Job to the test. I'll let you test him, just don't harm his life. And so Job strips, or excuse me, Satan strips away, if you read on in the story, Satan strips away Job's family, he strips away his home, he strips away his children, he literally has nothing left. And the news of all of this came to him at one moment. Your family's been killed, your homes have been destroyed, your flocks have been taken, your servants have been killed. He basically, like within 10 minutes time, his entire world collapsed around him. He still had his wife, who turns later to kind of get on the side of of Satan, and she says, you know, why don't you just curse God and die? Because his life gets so bad, because Satan comes back around again after Job did not curse God, 
Satan comes back around and says, hey, listen, God, I bet if you took away Job's health, he'd curse you to your face. And God says, okay, don't kill him, but you can do just about everything else. And so he is inflicted with sickness and boils and sores and pain and suffering. And then his friends come and they don't help out. They're bad counselors because they're constantly working at him. Job, you must have done something wrong. This is classic satanic influence. Your life is bad, therefore you must have done something wrong. Because everybody knows that God brings blessings upon people that are good and he brings judgment on people that are bad. And Job's like, ah, I haven't done anything wrong. So they start calling him a liar. That's what Satan does. That's what Satan does. You can read the book of Job. It's like 45 chapters of this back and forth between Job and his friends and God. And ultimately, at the end of the book, God vindicates himself and vindicates Job. And the three, the three friends who really are kind of not friends um, that are bringing the deception of Satan in, a human, in human form are shamed. So that's what he does. So we have the devil who is at work accusing the saints, discrediting God and his character and his nature, and therefore... Uh, undermining any sort of confidence that we can have in him as our redeemer. And he works against our own sense of faith in God's righteousness, faith in God's forgiveness, all of these concepts Job has in mind. This is the work of the devil. This is why he is called the adversary or the accuser. Well, Jesus Christ does something about it. Revelations chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So in the earlier passage, it said that the dragon swept his tail and a third of the angels were thrown to the earth. Basically what happened is that Satan led a rebellion against God and a third of the angels followed him. And so you have this, this spiritual realm of beings and it's no longer God and this hierarchy of, of angelic beings, okay? So whenever in the Bible you see uh, cherubim and seraphim, okay, and angels. There's this hierarchy of angelic beings, each with a, a, a measure of authority and power, all right? Michael is an archangel. The, Satan was called the anointed cherub, okay? He was like number two. He was the anointed heavenly being that sat above the throne of God, and his beauty and his wisdom were without measure. And he, he grew arrogant and he wanted the throne. So he, he convinced a third of the angels to align themselves against God. And so you have this literally a, a, this warfare in heaven. 
the forces of God and righteousness and the forces of Satan and evil. And this realm, okay, so when, when like in Ephesians chapter 3 where it says the church is the means through which God is going to demonstrate his manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, okay, what God is doing through us as his people is he is showing through the grace of Jesus Christ and the spirit that dwells within us and our love for one another shown in unity, okay? Because Satan destroys and breaks apart. If God can bring people together to live in unity and in self-sacrifice for the good of others, that shows the power of the gospel over the power of the devil. And that is why the church is the means through which God is demonstrating his abundant power and glory through, of Jesus Christ through us. And it is, it is we are a, a, a role in this heavenly realm, this heavenly battle that is taking place. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Because they are working against us, first of all, to undermine the gospel so that we don't believe in the grace of God, so that we don't believe that we have the righteousness of Christ through faith, so that we don't believe that our brothers and sisters can love us with sincerity, so that we attack and bite and undermine one another and undermine leadership and preach false teaching, okay? I mean, Satan is working to destroy us because if he can destroy us, the church, he dishonors God. He dishonors God. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. This is after, this is after um, well, let me keep reading. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Okay? So no longer is he, well... Let me keep reading. I keep getting ahead of myself because the passage gets ahead of itself a little bit. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So Satan was removed from having any sort of heavenly access because the accusations he would make against the people of God no longer had any sort of legal status. Why? Because in Christ's death and resurrection, Christ paid the debts that our sins burdened us with. We were, our, our sins were wiped away. As far as the east is from the west, our clothes were made as white as snow. And so Christ died for the sins of the world. 
all the sins Christ took upon himself. Now, next week we're going to look at the three versions of judgment, okay? That doesn't mean, okay, that doesn't mean that faith is no longer required by people for the appropriation of that forgiveness into their lives. So, but Satan no longer had any legal standing before God to sit as the prosecuting attorney. He was no longer allowed in the courtroom. And so he's thrown down, thrown down to earth. And he is going to continue his work. It says here, woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows the time is short. Why does he know? Genesis chapter three, the woman will crush you. Excuse me, the child born of the woman will crush you. The child was born, the child has died, the child has been resurrected. Death is the consequence of sin. And Christ has defeated and conquered death. And in the conquering of death, he's, con- he's conquered sin. And in the conquering of sin, he's conquered the devil. He's conquered the devil. Because that was the devil's tool. Sin being ultimately a rejection of God and a pursuit of one's own self as God. The salvation of God has come. Humanity and creation has now been saved through the death and resurrection of Christ. The power of God has come. The power over Satan and his evil forces. The kingdom of God has come. No longer is corruption and death going to be the defining reality for the creation of God. Life is now the defining reality. The resurrection started the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is unfolding. It's a already has happened 2,000 years ago, but it is not yet fully manifested itself here on this earth. That's why Jesus says when he instructs the disciples to pray, pray that the things on earth would be done as they are in heaven. So there is this heaven reality, heavenly reality of Satan's destruction and of the kingdom of God existing under the authority of Jesus Christ that has not yet happened totally on earth yet. And that's what Revelation is about, really the bringing in of the kingdom. But the light is shining and the darkness is passing away. Those are the metaphors that John uses. And so the kingdom of God is here. And we as God's people need to live in the reality of the kingdom that Satan and his angels have been defeated and that Christ now rules, that Christ now rules and that he is authority. And we come to verses 13 through 17. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. He's still trying to destroy Israel, if you can't tell from the news. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. The imagery here being he is, he is doing all he can to wipe out the people of Israel. He still is. There are still promises that... that the nation of Israel will enter into in the future. 
Satan is still trying to dishonor God in the destruction of Israel. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, the church. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And so the devil is cast down to earth. He's no longer in heaven making accusations against us before the throne of God. His standing as a prosecutor in the courtroom of God is no longer valid. But now he is here, and he is at work against the people of God, still deceiving, still accusing us. And this image, he stood on the sand of the sea. So the next chapter, which we've kind of already looked at, is chapter 13, and from the sea comes a beast. And the beast is the Antichrist who is deceiving the world. And the first effort to deceive the world is Babylon. Gets the whole world to follow the, the Babylon, the culture of, of greed and, and pleasure and financial security and power. That is Satan's strategy now. His other efforts are persecution. So he's trying to destroy the church now. Again, he works with, you know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, he is constantly throwing darts at us and that we need a shield and we need a helmet and we need a breastplate because those darts are lies. They're lies. And they're the same lies that he was telling to God and accusing us. You're not good enough for God. You're not good enough for Christ. Yes, Christ has died for your sins, but, you know, really he's still disappointed in you. Or you've been a Christian for such and such years. You should know better by now. You should have these things taken care of. Always working to take our sin and to bring condemnation to us. Because if we discount the grace of God through Christ, we no longer have any power. And we just continue to live in lies. And something else will provide us life. If we're not getting life from the gospel, something else will give us life. And that something else will always be Babylon. It's always been Babylon. When it was Babylon, it was Babylon. But now it's just this image of a kingdom that is opposed to God and opposed to Christ and says, listen, beauty and sex and money and security and wealth and status jobs, all of these things will bring you life because God's not bringing you life because he's always mad and disappointed with you. Why would you pursue God for life? These other things are much more glorious. That's Babylon. That's Babylon. And when Babylon again doesn't work, he brings persecution. And persecution is his last resort because persecution always leads to the growth of the, growth of the church unless he completely can kill off every last person in an area, preventing any testimony. But generally, historically, persecution is the best strategy for the advancement of the gospel and the growth of the church. Historically, that's the case. 
But Satan is the destroyer, and he will do that if Babylon doesn't work. And he's doing it through the Antichrist. C.S. Lewis has a quote. He says, if devils exist, their first aim is to give you an anesthetic, to put you off your guard. Only if that fails do you become aware of them. We are an increase, our society does not, I mean, we're kind of in this spirituality is okay, pursuits of the mystical is okay, but I, there's still a sense of, of the, the, the reality of invisible spiritual beings, I think, is still a big challenge for us in our world, that there are actual forces that we can't see that are alive and active in, and powerful in the, the minds and lives and the affairs of humanity. And that's really, and I think in the screw tape letters, which I read years ago, which is C.S. Lewis's books, it's a, it's a, it's a it's kind of a, it's a fictional account of, of spiritual warfare. There's a master demon and an apprentice demon, and the whole book is about the training of this apprentice demon to be an effective demon. And somewhere in that book, I think he says, the, the first thing that we need to do is to convince people that the devil does not exist. The devil does not exist. And that's what he says here, that devils exist. Their first name is to give you an anesthetic. They are uh, something to make you feel like they're not there. Something to make you feel like they're not there. Because if they're not there, then you're not going to give them the credence that they need to have in terms of, listen, these are substantive forces alive in the world that are deceiving and will deceive you if you're not aware of it. So we need to recognize the reality of spiritual beings and the reality of the devil. It's biblical. It provides an origin for understanding evil and death. And I think, I think it's very important to recognize senses that we have in us. We, we have good in us because we're made in the image of God. Nothing that we have within and of ourselves, stuff that God has given us is good. We recognize it, but we also recognize within us that there is evil, that there is evil. And the evil is not something that we want to affirm or hold on to or agree with or to continue to do. There seems to be within us this battle it's the same battle that's taking place in the world. There is good and there is evil. And I think that that is a testimony even within us of, of things beyond us having an effect on us and on creation uh, that we don't have total power over. We can see it in the world, not, not in terms of just human activity, but in, in creation itself. There is so much beauty and wonder to experience in the created world. We live, a, we live in a very beautiful place. You head up north, it gets increasingly beautiful, but you don't have to go very far to see the beauty of God's creation. But then we also see a, an intense destructiveness in God's creation that at times destroys hundreds of thousands of people 
like tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and things of this nature where the creation itself has this, this, this antithesis of, of beauty and wonder and good and it f- gives us life and, and all of the, the food and the shelter and the things that we build from it and yet it also is destroying us. And so we can see inherently this, this corruption and know that from within us, we long for we long for a time and we sense because of the sense of justice that God has put within us. Everybody demonstrates a, a sense of justice at some point where, where their lives, something has been, uh, they've been a victim or their friends or family members have been a victim of, of violence or abuse or something that doesn't seem fair. And we all long for justice. It's a God-given thing. It's a God-given thing. And so, these things are testimonies, internal testimonies to the reality of, of some origin of evil that is opposed to God and has brought wrath and destruction to humanity and to creation. And that origin is the devil. And next week, we're going to see how the devil gets destroyed. Actually, next week and the third week as well. So let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus Christ who conquered Satan, who through entering into death arose to life by the power of God crushing Satan and the power that he had. God, we thank you for that. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us and strengthen us to increasingly place our trust in Christ so that if, if we are challenged, as the text says, even to the point of death, we don't love our lives for they are fleeting and the first death is harmless. Help us, God, not to, let our, to love our lives so much that we would reject Jesus and to help us to hold firm and to grasp the gospel and the victory of Christ over the devil. In Jesus' name, amen.